0: Peace be upon you and welcome to another edition of Pathway to Peace, a show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace, and perhaps the most elusive of them all, inner peace. We have seen a number of worrying news stories of late in relation to pets and animals and how their domestication has caused injury to many humans as well as many animals. We have seen a number of reports regarding the dog called the Bully XL, leading the UK politicians to restrict people's ability to keep such animals as pets. This made us think about our duties as Muslims towards animals and also about their use in our lives. I'm your host, Sabiha Iqbal, a university chaplain, and joining me to discuss this topic and its encompassing issues are Shazia Bhatti, a solicitor from London, and Reem Shraiki, a translator and life devotee of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Salaam and warm welcome to you both, and thank you for joining me. Malikum salam. So, if we start off with, in the twenty-first century, um, animals, you know, are loved and enjoyed and treated like a part of the family. Has this always been the case? Is uh, animals always uh, treated in this way, Shazia?
1: Yeah, I think um, in the past, and this is very, very much in the past, so five thousand BC to five hundred AD, animals were used intensively for their muscle power to, you know, pull plows or sleds um, you know, to carry things limestone for construction and animal power was also needed in times of war. Horses carried soldiers, pulled chariots in battle and animals was used sometimes as weapons in war. Mm. The ancient warrior Hannibal tied sticks to the horns of cattle and set them ablaze to create diversions during his invasions. Elephants were also drawn into military conflicts, through less successfully. I mean, we know the story of Surah al fil where in about 570 A.D., before the advent of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the Christian chief of Yemen named Abraha, he attempted to invade Mecca with the intention of destroying the Kaaba. And his army rode on elephants. And in the Arab history, and this is 570 A.D., and it's known as the Year of the Elephant. But he didn't succeed in his mission and his army was destroyed by an epidemic of disease and a terrible storm. So animals in ancient Rome were often used for entertainment. I mean, I think we've all heard of it where the yeah. Christians were um, attacked by various animals and it was just to amuse the crowd. Mm-hmm. So during the Middle Ages, which is about 500 to 1400 AD, life was filled with fear of violence, pestilence and disease. And animals were often blamed for human illnesses. Dogs and cats running free in the village were apt to be scapegoated for spreading the plague and so were frequently hunted and burnt. I mean, again, medieval villages often use animal baiting for entertainment and, and, and part of the festivals and holidays. Um, but during the Renaissance, which is 1400 to 1600 AD, people became more curious about how nature and biology worked. Farmers learned more ways to breed and raise domestic stock animals, which led to a sharp rise in the consumption of meat during the 14th and 15th centuries. In addition, animals were used as a way of conferring status. So the more animals you had, the more wealth you had. Trophy hunting um, had started, and it was a popular way to display the power and status of men, but much of it had to be done in artificial con- conditions. So game animals were enclosed in parks or herded into nets, um, because by that point there were fewer wild animals available to hunt. But people continued to fear the plague and often persecuted free- roaming dogs or cats. You know, 1600 to 1800, which is known as the Enlightenment, brought some awareness of animal cruelty to light. Unfortunately, even at that time, um, Rene Descartes also famously argued that animals were neither rational nor moral and were not even conscious. And for those animals, he unfortunately asserted that they could not even feel pain. And obviously, we, we know in the modern era, which is 1800s to now, really, people began to develop more concern for animal welfare, especially in the United States and Europe. In 1822, in the United States, an Animal Protection Act was passed which prohibited the mistreatment of horses, asses, mules, cattle, oxen, sheep, and other animals in farming. And the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animal was founded in 1824, and a decade later laws prohibiting animal baiting. But pet keeping wasn't really accepted in Europe until the end of the 17th century, and it wasn't common among the middle classes until the late 18th century. And I think pet keeping in its present form is is kind of much later nineteenth century Victorian invention. So it's been quite a, a history, and you know, not not um, animals weren't really kept as pets until the much more recent history.
0: Mm, yeah, thank you, Shaz. Yeah, and um, it's a really detailed kind of snapshot of um, a historical account, and that, you know, I think. For some of us, it's been all that we've been exposed through our younger years of, you know, in terms of our relationship with animals has really been pictured through Disney movies or reading books, you know, where most, if not all characters have been portrayed as animals, you know, whether it's Lion King or 101 Dalmatians or Pixar's, you know, Finding Nemo, Um, we've had some sort of uh, relationship with or seen animals, um, you know, in our day to day, in our lives as well. So I think things have changed over the history, um, you know, over time. But I think our most in most recent years, it's been interesting to see how much um, domestication of animals has really kind of taken off. So moving forward, the so West has moved on from this historical perspective, you know, as you've described. And some in the West may misunderstand Islam as having a lack of love for animals. But is that really the case? Sister Reed? You know, in fact, Islam
2: places a strong emphasis on compassion and kindness towards animals. Mm. and The teachings of Islam encourage Muslims to treat all living beings, including animals, with respect and care. There are many Quranic verses as well as numerous hadith, which are the narrations of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and the blessings of Allah, be upon him, that emphasize the importance of showing kindness and mercy to animals. Recently uh, the spiritual head and the khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community stated in chapter 51 verse 20 of the Holy Quran Allah the Almighty states and in their wells was a share for one who asked for help and for those who could not and then he explained in this in, the, uh, in this verse the Holy Quran states that the whole mouth of a true muslim is that they should care for all of uh, of Allah's creation and support those in need, whether they seek their help or not. Muslims should not wait for someone to ask for help, but should proactively identify those in society who are in distress and help them overcome their challenges or troubles. And here where the Holy Quran says that some living being cannot speak or assert their needs, it includes animals. Mm. And he stated also that something that Islam discourages, discourages keeping pets or showing love to animals. But this verse requires a Muslim to diligently care for animals under their supervision or under um, their supervision or care. Likewise, this verse also hints the importance of wildlife conservation and protecting the world around us. So let me quote for you, for example, uh, this uh, verse from the Holy Quran. Allah stated, "There is not an animal that lives on the earth, nor a being that flies on its wings, but they form communities like you. Nothing have we omitted from the Book." And also, Allah the Almighty stated in the Holy Quran, "And the earth, He has assigned to all; uh, it has assigned it to all living creatures." And in the hadith, we read, for example, that the Holy Prophet once stated, beware of ever using the backs of your rights as pulpits Allah has subjected them for you so that they can carry you from one place to another, which you cannot reach without difficulty. And he also strongly discouraged killing any insect or any animal unless it were about to harm this, the human being. So... Uh, for example, he said there is no person who kills a small bird or anything larger for not just reason who will not be asked about it uh, by Allah the Almighty in the day of judgment. And there needs also to be
0: accountability, doesn't there? Yes,
2: exactly. So even this act we will be accountable uh, for. And also the Holy Prophet forbade the killing of four kinds of animals in any circumstances: ants, bees, um uh who and shrikes. and of mm-hmm. course it's not surprising that um you know it's forbidding in islam to kill bees the mm-hmm. the importance of honey is uh, very clear in the holy quran uh, where allah almighty stated that uh, there is a cure for men uh, for for men in in the in the honey mm-hmm. and in addition bees are responsible as we know for 70% of the world's food and that's mm-hmm. why allah has singled out the whole chapter in the Holy Quran for the bees called an Nahil, which means uh, the Arabic word for bees. And he mentioned, of course, their the bees and their benefits. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, yeah. I think
1: growing up as a Muslim, you you know, for me, if I see somebody that you know, terrified of spiders and say, kill the spider, for me it thinks, well, the spider's not done anything to you and it's not going, you know, especially in the UK, the spider is not going to do anything to you. Yes. Um, you know, you can just take it out and put it somewhere or ask somebody else to if you're that scared of it. But, um, you know, I think that that's part of being brought up as a Muslim, isn't it? That we don't want to cause harm to any creatures that are not even trying to harm us. Exactly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you both for that. Um, So what can we move forward, I suppose, and let's talk about the Holy Ground a bit more. What does the Holy Ground teach us about our responsibility to animals, Shazia?
1: I mean, I think Islam teaches us to be responsible for and care for all vulnerable beings, whether they're human or animal. And I believe that this is because we as humans have been given a responsibility for taking care of those weaker than ourselves or less able to protect themselves than we can. Allah has provided certain animals on earth. Some are to provide food for us, some are to work and some are there just to protect us, and some just to look beautiful and graceful. I mean, Allah has created this world, and we want to keep it as it was made for us. I mean, we can see beauty in animals, and I think it makes us grateful to Allah, um, because we can show his creation, and we can see the beauty in what he has created. And for that, we say, subhanAllah, be to Allah. So Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, reported that the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, While a man was walking on his way, he became extremely thirsty. He found a well. He went down into it to drink water. Upon leaving it, he saw a dog which was panting out of thirst. His tongue was lolling out and he was eating moist earth from extreme thirst. The man thought to himself, the dog is as extremely thirsty as I am. So he descended into the well, filled up his leather sock with water and holding it in his teeth, climbed up and quenched the thirst of the dog. Allah appreciated his action and forgave his sins. The Companions asked, shall we be rewarded for showing kindness to the animals also? He, the the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, a reward is given in connection with every living creature. And that's from the um, Hadith book Muslim. And in another narration, the Prophet is reported to have said, Allah forgave him in appreciation of this act and admitted him to to paradise. And that's from Bukhari. I mean, I find this really interesting because it, it shows that the, Companions were not used to to this kind of behavior towards animals, and they were quite surprised and said, you know they were quite surprised that a, a reward would be'd be given um, to this. So I think you know that's an interesting one. and then another um, narration is that once a dog was going round a well and it was about to die out of thirst, and a prostitute happened to see it. so she mm-hmm. took off her leg of the sock and lowered it into the well and she drew out some water and gave the dog some drink and she was forgiven on account of her actions. And that's from Bukhari. And these hadiths are so beautiful. You know, Can you imagine that we can be rewarded for what can be seen as such small acts of kindness to such memorable creations of Allah's creation?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think they're really beautiful. And I think, you know, as Muslims who understand, the Holy Prophet, you know, Muhammad, peace be upon him, you know, is a role model for us. And so, you know, these become much, much easier, um, I suppose, situations, and examples for us to follow um, and know what to do within them as well. When we do see an animal perhaps suffering or struggling.
2: And you know, these teachings reflect the Islamic principle of uh, guardianship, which Mm. is the idea that humans are caretakers of the earth and all its uh, creatures. So thus, Muslims are expected to balance their needs with the well-being of animals and the environment, practicing responsible and compassionate behavior towards all living beings. Mm -hmm. So that's why Islam teaches that uh, acts of kindness towards animals are rewarded by Allah, as Shazia mentioned. So, for instance, providing water to a thirsty animal is considered a charitable act in Islam and will be highly rewarded. And um, we can uh, read also in the hadith, in the narrations of the Holy Prophet, that he stated, whoever is merciful even to a sparrow, Allah will be merciful to, to him on the day of judgment. He also said, a good deed done to an animal is like a good deed done to a human being, while an act of cruelty cruelty to an animal is as bad as a cruelty to a human being. So Islam illustrates and um, instructs that um, also working animals, such as horses and camels, should not be overloaded. Uh, their physical uh, well-being should be always the priority. That's, That's why the holy prophet of Islam peace and the blessings of Allah be upon him, once uh, saw a camel, which was so skinny that its back almost reached its stomach. And he said to the owner, fear Allah in these beasts who cannot speak. Uh, and here again, the companion, uh, as uh, Shazia mentioned this story that they always, they were asking, will be getting the reward because we are serving animals. And he uh, confirmed yes. And um, I can also tell you a story that once a group of the companions of the Holy Prophet, uh, they were on a journey with the Holy Prophet, peace and the blessings of Allah, be upon him and he left them for a while. So during his absence, they saw a bird with its young, two young uh, birds, and they took the young ones from the nest. The mother bird was circling above uh, in the air, beating its wings in grief. And when the Holy Prophet came back, he said, who hurt? this mother, the feeling of this mother. And they they told him the story and he commanded them to return them to her immediately. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is also a hadith, the narration or another narration of the Holy Prophet where he stated, a woman was punished in hell because of a cat, which she had confined until it died. She did not give it to eat or to drink when it was confined, nor did she free it so that it might eat uh, the vermin of the earth mm. and uh, there is another story which really i am i'm always you know uh, surprised at it and i feel so proud of this uh, action from the holy prophet you know when the troops of muslims were marching towards mecca the holy prophet noticed a dog with uh, her puppies mm. and they were all gathered around her nursing so he feared that the soldiers might unintentionally, of course, crush her and her puppies. So he ordered one of his companions to guard her and her puppies till the troop will pass. And in another na- narration, even for the same story, it's mentioned that the Holy Prophet even changed the whole route for uh, the sake of the dogs not to be scared. Mm
0: goodness yeah so I mean the examples are really there for us in early Islam um, you know for us to benefit from you know so knowing um, how to treat animals how to look after their welfare you know what would uh, be classed as as abuse of of animals you know there are these are really pertinent examples and I'm glad that you've shared them with us as well and as both of you have referred to um, these as being in in the hadith for our listeners I suppose it might be helpful to explain that hadith are a collection of um you know the, the the stories of um and the the accounts of the holy prophet muhammad peace be upon him uh, you know and taken uh, at, the, at his time um which are of benefit for us and uh, references to these as well can be looked up um, on www.alislam.org
1: i think so, what's also really interesting about these these stories and these narrations is we have to remember they were 1500 1400 years yeah. ago um, yeah. that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, mentioned these things. And if you look back at the 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 Western history that I was um relaying ad, earlier, and it was only in the you know Victorian times and and much you know at those times that people thought about the welfare of animals. And previous to that, you know, no kind of rights were given or no um action was taken about the the welfare of, of animals. Um yes. and again mentioned this is in Islam. Yes, it was mentioned in Islam, you know, you know, hundreds of years beforehand. Um, and I think that's really interesting to 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 note those things.
0: Yep, I agree. I entirely agree. Okay, ladies, moving on. Um, in the intro, I talked about some of the specific issues we're seeing in the UK around keeping of dogs, such as the Bully XL. Um, what are your thoughts? Has the West taken the domestication of animals too far? Um, you know, perhaps without understanding the risks. Shazia, what do you think?
1: I mean, I think yeah, we need to look a little bit about the history of these American Bullies XL, or okay. or, or that's what they're named, and. They're said to have originated in America in the late 1980s when American pit bull terriers and American Staffordshire terriers were crossed. So the XL can weigh more than nine stone. That's 60 kilograms and oh. is strong enough to overpower an adult. So there's um, an organization called Bully Watch, which is a group of London based policy experts. And they told the BBC News that the breed first appeared in the UK around 2014 or 15 and that numbers grew rapidly during the pandemic. Um, and what is said is that they are huge dogs. And, you know, from what I've heard from, from, uh, friends who have dogs as pets, some aren't easy to train. Um, and these are much smaller and less powerful dogs. I mean, I have a friend who has a mixed breed dog recently found out that her dog is part husky. So she howls and barks all the time. Mm. Um, and my friend takes her out for walks at night, so she's not around people and now hardly has any friends in the house um, because she says actually it's quite distressing for the dog because it's not used to to, to strangers in the house. Um, and so I think, um, um, and not not really giving a person with children, but in a way, um, dogs need to be trained so it's possible to have them around people. Um, but the owners of these huge dogs need to understand that these dogs can turn and attack people without any warning. Um, I mean, I saw a, a video, um, just a few days ago and it was about, um, this woman that had come face to face with a dog that she didn't know and the dog bit her face. Um, and the, the commentator was saying is that, you know, you don't know this dog you don't know it's temperament you don't know what it is why would you go and put your face right near that dog um and and saying that you know you have to these are animals they come from wild animals and actually they will have instincts of wild animals Um, and so they can turn and attack at any point um but recently as we know there have been many reports of american bullies being involved in several high-profile attacks Um, and richard baker who is an nhs consultant surgeon told bbc news but because the, the dog has such powerful jaws, the wounds are worse compared to other breeds. In American bullies, it's a crushing or tearing injury, he said. And once they grip, they don't let go. And that kind of injury is more damaging than obviously small dogs are. And he said that American bullies break bones, shred skin and damage nerves. And a study published in the Public Health Journal showed there was a sudden spike in deaths from dog attacks in England and Wales in 2022. Um, and that was 10 compared to an average of three in the previous years. I mean, I, I I kind of had a theory about this. And I thought that maybe if people, as as was said earlier, if people did get these types of dogs during the pandemic. And obviously in the pandemic, they weren't able to train them around people and they were confined to their own homes. These adults, these dogs are now adult dogs. And they're now attacking people because they just they haven't been trained and they don't know how to how to um, act around other people um and this is a real shame and obviously there's talk in the uk about having this um breed of dogs banned um but you know any dog i think can be dangerous i mean i, I know you can sometimes see people they they post pictures of them with their baby you know with babies and saying oh you know my baby is meeting its older brother or older sister um but i you know i feel so scared when i see those because i think you know that's a tiny defenseless baby um and you're behaving as though that the the dog is not a wild animal and yet it is and you don't know when that animal will turn
0: so respecting you know uh, the creation of god and you know the animals within their own rights and their own um ways that they will behave is really important for us as humans you know we see um people who keep dogs dressing them up perhaps you know wearing um you know the outfits that you'll match um, what they might be wearing and it's become a bit bit of a trend um so i think it's really important um that People understand actually that they these are animals and they will have their inst- instincts and their own temperaments and demeanors, um, and it's I think a really Im- helpful point that you've made in terms of training those animals as well and how actually through the pandemic perhaps some of them haven't been exposed to um, other humans in you know in the same way um, as in the past.
1: And also the, the the point about the bully XL is they've be, they've been bred from two big um, separate um, species of dogs. Um, to create this new breed of dog, which is much more powerful than either of those two other species are, because they've got the the power of both of those things. Um, and sometimes, you know, it feels a, it's very artificial the way that was done. Um, and unless, and it doesn't seem necessary. It seems as though these were these were bred in order to show, you know, power of 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 being able to control these dogs. But unfortunately, when you don't, can't control them, um, and it looks like you know that has just been taken too far. Um, yep. in, in those terms.
0: Okay, thank you, Shazia. Um, I had a conversation with a, um, a sister who has converted, to, she's an English convert to um, Islam, and um, and she shared her thoughts and views about the domestication of, of animals as well. So I'm going to play that conversation for us now, um, and I invite you both to share your reflections as well. So let me just play that now. Okay um and thank you very much for coming to speak to us um about this topic of animal welfare Um so i wanted to pose a question to you uh within muslim communities we see that they have certain pets like cats fish birds but they don't have dogs necessarily and this becomes a bit of a contentious contentious issue in the west dogs are considered man's best friend but are uh, but we're saying that it's un islamic to have dogs as pets do you think that's true? Do you think that there are some animals which are permitted and others not? Just wanted to hear your thoughts and views.
3: Uh alaikum and uh, thank you for having me on the show, um, Sabia. It's, um, I mean, I, I've been brought up with animals my whole life, dogs, cats, birds, uh, every kind, you know, farm animals as well. Um, so I suppose that puts me in a, in a unique position because I'm also a Muslim um, convert. Mm-hmm. And I still have animals. I still have 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 dogs. I rescue dogs. Um, well, I foster dogs for for the Blue Cross mm-hmm. um, that are, are unwanted. Um, I've got two two hours at the moment that are rehomes that mm-hmm. uh, that w- were not wanted. But I think it's it's there's lots of contention around the subject around of kind of the religious aspect, and you know from my experience some of it is cultural mm-hmm. and not around the religious teaching. And I think there's lots of confusion. There's a, a belief that, you know, dogs are, are, are unclean and they're mm-hmm. dirty. Um, yeah. and, and to some extent, you know, especially feral dogs, or especially in some countries, you know, that where they're not domesticated, mm-hmm. yeah, they carry all kinds of diseases. They're not vaccinated. They're not worms, you know, they, you know, and they can be dangerous as well. Yeah. Um, same as domesticated animals can be, you know, dangerous as well. It kind of depends, but less less likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to answer your, your question, I, I think having a dog as a pet, I think as long as you, you're fulfilling the rights of that animal mm-hmm. and you've done your research on perhaps the specific type of animal, whether that's going to be suited for your lifestyle, whether you can meet the needs and requirements of that animal and it's Mm -hmm. serving a purpose i mean they 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 can be dogs are amazing creatures you know Mm -hmm. i i I love dogs absolutely love dogs yeah Uh, you know they're utilized in so many ways to serve humanity you've got guide dogs Dogs for the deaf, I think they're being used as medical detection dogs now. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They can smell out certain types of cancer or diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um. Seeing... Dogs being more used as as a therapeutic um, aid, um, children with autism or have got particular mental disorders have got companion pets that are, that kind of help stabilize them. So they're just used in in, in so many di- diverse types of way to serve humanity, and I just think they're fantastic yeah. in terms of what you know um, that relationship, I suppose, between people and and animals, and especially dogs yeah. and I think you know when people have any type of of of, of animal, whether whether it's a bird or whether it's mm-hmm. a fish, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would I would perhaps argue that if you're keeping a bird in a cage all the time and it hasn't got that freedom to to fly, then I would kind of question whether you're really meeting the the welfare and the needs of that animal. Yeah because yeah, that to absolutely. me is the most important you know god created animals for for, for particular purposes and, yes. they, and with those purposes come rights yeah. as well so i think yeah. that that to me is the fundamental part of it that you're you're meeting the the rights of the animal um, yeah. and then i think you can have a really good healthy relationship with yeah. a, with, with any animal really yeah
0: I think um you've also shared about your um you converting and you know accepting Islam as well do you think that in your in your journey um in your faith as well that that's something you've found Islam to help guide you on in terms of your relationship with animals?
3: I th- I th- yeah, because I, I think I, I got confused at first because obviously I was quite conflicted. I was mm-hmm. reading and seeing different things. I'm thinking, is, is it bad to have a dog or is it good to have a dog? Are they dirty? Are mm-hmm. they clean? You know, so there was there was lots of um, yeah. contradictory information. And the more mm-hmm. I, I, I did look into it, yeah, um, the more it kind of reassured me. Okay. You yeah. know, I, the, 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 yeah, this is about the welfare of animals yes, and the welfare of dogs. And, you, you know, and... I think it was the fourth Khalifa. Um mm-hmm. speak about especially dogs in the West that they're you know, they're they're vaccinated, they're domesticated, mm-hmm. they're worms. So kind of the risk around disease and that mm-hmm. cleanliness is is vastly reduced to yeah. maybe dogs in, in a different country where they they're not um domesticated.
0: It's really interesting. Yeah, it, it, eventually content. I came to, to a to a place where I was content. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what we're exploring on this show as well, is trying to build that understanding and, and you know, almost dispel those, any, any sort of myths that might might exist around um, the keeping of animals um, and also uh, pets as well. Um, so that's been a really helpful perspective. Um, and we've spoken a little bit about on the show, um, this ban that might be coming into place around the Bully XL. Did you want to share any thoughts around that and, you know, anything that you might want to say in terms of your, your previous experience um, as a veterinary nurse?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, again, it's quite controversial. The sort of breed-specific bans, I'm, I'm aware of that mm-hmm. um, because of sort of my experience um, um, in the yeah, animal industry, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of, I, I, I understand the kind of the, the the rationale for it because you know you've got the certain breeds that um, you know if they're going to turn nasty. Or they're mm-hmm. going to hurt, hurt somebody. That due to the size, the power, and the nature of these animals, mm-hmm. they can do a lot of damage. So I kind of understand yeah. um, that that you know the the rationale behind banning a, you know specific breeds. However, I I think it's unfair on mm-hmm. specific breeds and types of dogs because ultimately I would put the owner at fault and the resp- and hold that responsibility in in mm-hmm. most cases. Where you have an aggressive dog mm-hmm. that has perhaps been bought for for I don't know image or mm-hmm. um, for for protection and they train it to be aggressive they train them to attack and mm-hmm. then obviously you know pe- these individuals think they can control the animal but at the end of the day it's got instincts as a powerful animal and yes. and, and very difficult once that that animal goes that you're yeah. going to be able to stop it and, and it's that i think lack of education, understanding, mm-hmm. and understanding and that feeds into you know again it's about i suppose what's popular isn't it that fashion mm-hmm. accessory it it's yeah. you know um you know Dalmatians were popular at one one stage. Huskies, you know, Rottweilers were, we're, and and now it's you know. Then it was a pit bull, then now the XL. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but you you know, you have to know the breed. So first of all, the type of animal, and you have to understand the requirements and the Mm -hmm. challenges that come with these breeds, the the type of exercise they need, Mm -hmm. the type of mental stimulation, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what kind of environment. you know, with their temperament,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, bull breeds are, are notorious for being quite stubborn anyway and difficult mm-hmm. to manage. I think, you you know, you have to have a lot of experience, you know, very different to say a Labrador that uh, as, a, as, a, as a family pet is just, you know, cuddly roll over wag its tail and yeah. you know, <laughs> very, very, very easy to, easy to manage uh, in comparison. So I think, I definitely think people are at fault rather than, than the breeds you know this is what we've created and i i just think it's really unfair that yeah. the animals have to suffer because of it really and i think that's a good lesson mm. in the islamic teaching of what happens when you don't fulfill the rights of of animals really
0: fascinating that's been a fascinating perspective sister christine it's been really appreciated as well because you've really enlightened me um and hopefully it'll be um good for people to be able to understand just food for thought in terms of you know what relationship and responsibility we have towards those animal rights as well um certainly yeah. as muslims um, but also within the wider society as well so thank you so much um mm-hmm. for coming yeah. on and speaking to us and hopefully um actually it's something that we can um spread the word about and share with other people um in future too brilliant thanks
3: so much
0: so I'm going to stop there, um, I found that a really helpful conversation to have, and so I just wanted to invite both Mr um, and Reem, just to share any um, reflections that you might have.
2: And of course, as Muslims, we love animals uh, as well, and we understand the purpose of their creation, but we do have boundaries. So regarding dogs, it is allowed in Islam to have dogs for protection, just as it is permissible to have shepherd dogs and hunting dogs. So the whole idea is that one should not have in one's inner self uh, the um, properties of dogs that only cause harm and bites the other and bite others. So if one keeps dogs for protection of the house, then there is no harm. However, bringing them into the house is not permissible. So a kennel should uh, be made in the open parts of the house, like compounds. And they should be fed well, and they should be looked after. But if they are allowed into the rooms of the houses where they roam about and on carpets, on sofas, or even where you say your prayer, that is uh, not permissible in Islam.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Other otherwise, it is absolutely fine uh, to have it as, as I said, as um, to guard your house and uh, to to be in an open area in your house.
0: Mm-hmm. I think we're really fortunate as anti-Muslims as well, because this guidance has, has kind of been given given to us through um, the Holy Quran and, and Islam. But also um, and we're reminded of it, you know, by the, the current head of the anti-Muslim community, his holiness husband, who's, who's been, like, given us the opportunity to ask those questions and explain to us as well the rights and wrongs around the domestication of, of animals. Um, any other reflections that anybody wanted to share before we move on?
1: Um, yeah i think for me it's, uh, it what i found interesting is what she said about birds and that, that's what i've always felt that birds in a cage to me seems very quite cruel really because you know birds should be free to to fly around even if i go to a zoo and see birds in an aviary and 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 i just think well it's such a small space and and they mm. should be free to 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 roam but obviously you know if you are are keeping an exotic um bird that's always been in in kind of captivity they're not going to be able to roam around in the wild. So it's a bit of a conflicting one in, in terms of birds. But, but you know, that there are, there are many other pets, pets that people have. I mean, I've got a friend that's got snakes and lizards as pets. And actually, um, her, that's what she says is that actually they're much easier to care for than mammals because mammals, you then have to, um, kind of look after more. If it's dogs, you have to take them out for a walk. Whereas actually, um, the, the, the lizards and the snakes are happy in their cage, um, and to be taken out every once in a while. So it's just an interesting, different perspective on pets.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So how can we dispel myths about that Muslims um, are not allowed or don't want to keep pets or, you know, used for a purpose?
1: I mean, I think many Muslims believe that even calling out the name of a pig makes your tongue unclean. And I find that strange as Allah himself has referred to the pig in the Holy Quran as the animal we are not allowed to eat. So why would Allah put that name in the Quran if it makes our tongue unclean? You know I think that Allah has created pigs. there must be some reason for it. um and if we if we look at the other um um other religions and um in Judaism, there's no Jewish prohibition against owning pets. um but um reports anecdotal reports suggest that pet ownership is less common among Orthodox Jews than the general Jewish population. um one reason may be that Orthodox Jews on average have more children than other Jews, leaving them with less time and money available to care for pets. Um, And another factor um, is that on the Sabbath and and various other festivals, um, there are very strict rules about what Jews can and can't do um, at those times. And so maybe that's why they don't have pets, because they may not be able to fulfill the right to the pets as well as their own religious rights. So that's interesting. Um, And also it says that there are further um, in in the um, Torah and the Talmud, there are um, derogatory statements made in relation to dogs. I mean, in, in relation to this, I've always assumed that because in Islam, um, dogs are considered unclean, that we would be required to do wazoo before praying if we came in contact with a dog. However, when I was thinking about this, we know what the rules in Islam are is when we have to do wazoo, the ablutions before you pray. Um, mm-hmm. And I've never read that touching of a dog is is one of those conditions. But, of course, we know that if I, I mean, for me, if I'd been in contact with a dog, I would always wash my hands just to make sure I was clean. You know, you you wash your hands automatically anyway before you eat. And so you do that so that no diseases can be passed on.
0: I agree. Absolutely. You know, there's that aspect of common sense as well that we've got to apply to Serene. And, and in
2: fact, you know, Shazia, you have not to uh, repeat your ablutions. Your so in the Holy Quran, there is mention of animals that one tames, like hunting dogs, that to bring back the game killed by the hunter, they are called retrievers. So they run and pick up the bird or the game that has been shot. And it is allowed in Islam to eat such games and birds. So if it's if the dog is dirty, then you would will, will not be allowed, but you are allowed to eat such mm-hmm. a game. And in the time of the holy prophet, peace and the blessings of Allah be upon him, huge herds of sheep and goats were taken out in the grounds for uh, grazing. So shepherds would use shepherd dogs to keep an eye on the herds. And Muslim shepherds would do the same and uh, their shepherd's dogs uh, would come running to them and come in contact with their clothes. So these shepherds would go to the mosque and say prayers with the same clothes so they did not need to change them. And in Sahih Bukhari, which is the most authentic book of the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and the blessings of Allah be upon him, we read uh, that Ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, said that the dogs used to go here and there in the mosque in the time of Allah's messenger, and that they did not sprinkle any place where they had been. So they did not even clean the place, but we have to keep in mind at, at that time, there were no carpets on on the on the mosque, so it was direct floor.
0: Okay, um, thank you so much for sharing that and those anecdotes as well. Um, I wasn't too sure if there's any other commu- faith communities as well that were not permitted to keep pets. Well, yeah, we talked
1: about um um uh, Jews above, um, and some Hindus say that the Hindu scriptures prohibit Hindus from keeping animals and, and as pets. Um, as they prohibited and outlawed, and tabooed all forms of close interaction between animals and humans, mainly due to cleanliness, and therefore keeping a pet in the house was never a practice that was supported by the the scriptures.
0: Interesting. Moving forward, ladies, what about the Islamic position on support animals in the place of worship? Is there anything that is in the guidance?
2: You know, as we mentioned before, that uh, the dogs are not permissible to be inside the house. But, uh, you know, the Islamic rule for every forbidden thing is that necessities permit prohibitions. So, when it is necessary for the dog to be indoor, then it is permitted for uh, that necessity. And so on, for uh, as I said, for any other uh, prohibited matter. Mm-hmm.
0: That's so interesting. In short. Yep, that seems really clear. Um, are there guidelines on cleanliness that relate to animals as well, Sussurim?
2: You know, for um, uh, there, there are narrations from the Holy Prophet about how to clean the plate or the dish where they ate uh, from. So it's narrated from a lady, a uh, fem- female companion of the Holy Prophet, her name was Kapsha, that she brought um, some water uh, for her uncle to have his ablution in a bucket. And the cat came and they drank from that water. So he, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 brought near the, the, this vessel to the cat to drink well. And then he continued his ablution from the same water. And it looks to him that uh, Kapsha was surprised that he is using the same water. He did not change the water. And he asked her, hey, are you surprised? She said, yes. He said, the Holy Prophet said they are not unclean about the cats. Rather, they are among the males and females, animals who go around among you. Mm -hmm. And regarding the dogs, there are different uh, guidance. Uh, As I said, you know, the game carried by the dog is clean. But the Holy Prophet said regarding the plate, which the dog might eat from that. um, No, regarding, sorry, first regarding the game, which I mentioned that you are allowed to eat. He said, eat whatever is called for you by a dog. But regarding cleaning the plate the dog eats from, we read from the Holy Prophet that if a dog licks a vessel, wash it seven times and rub it the eighth time with dust with soil.
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, is there an anecdote of the Imam that um, was going to be shared as well that I think Shazia yeah, you were going to mention? Yes, that was uh,
1: It was um, uh, during during the pandemic but it was um a a video that that went viral um and it was this um imam that was uh, leading prayers and um the cat comes up to him obviously it's his known cat it must be because the cat then climbs on top of the imam that's reading the prayers. and it's interesting to note when you're watching this video that none of the followers Bat an eyelid. They don't move. They don't do anything. <laughs> the Imam carries on with the prayer. So, so it looks like it's a regular occurrence. Um, but it's really interesting because it just shows that that, that, part, that the Imam wasn't, um, distracted by the cat while he was leading the prayers. It was just as a normal, um, thing that happened. The cat came in, the cat climbed on him. He carried on with his prayers and then, and then, you know, they finished their prayers. So it's a very interesting, um, um anecdote of how, um, you know, the cat, cats were, uh, are allowed in the mosque and yeah. um, and there didn't seem to be any kind of um kind of um, um issue about that and
2: that seems you know, Shazia, to- yeah yeah sorry <laughs> uh, because in the muslim world wherever you go in uh, inside the mosques you will find a lot of cats and uh, going in and uh, out uh, the mosque so it is uh, common to see such uh, such thing in the muslim world
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely Um, I think that's been mentioned in in early early Islam as well. So it's good to be reminded of that as well um, in more recent times. You're listening to Pathway to Peace on the Voice of Islam radio station. And today we're discussing compassion toward creatures and Islamic insight on animal welfare. Together, we're trying to understand our responsibilities to the rights of animals better to create a safe and peaceful society to coexist in. So let's now talk about the food chain. Vegetarianism and veganism is on the rise. Many people who don't eat meat are restricting their consumption for a variety of reasons, perhaps in support for the environment or they're against cruelty towards animals. But as a Muslim, I know we claim to have the utmost respect for the environment and would never dream of being cruel to animals. But we do eat meat. Does that make us cruel? Shadia? I think,
1: you know, The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, emphasise the value of a simple life. Um, And some of his narrations are simple um, way of life is part of faith. And truly rich is he who has no desire for what others have. And beware of luxury for the true servants of Allah, love not luxury. And the reason I I, I brought these advices in is because part of having a simple life is is simple meals as well. Um, And the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, never ate his fill and he said kill not your hearts with excessive eating and drinking and he said there is no vessel worse for a person than to fill his stomach a few mouthfuls should suffice to keep him on his feet but if he must eat more then let him fill one third of his stomach with food one third with drink and leave one third for easy breathing Mm. now the diet of the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him is known for being simple natural and healthy he loved fruits and vegetables, mostly dates, figs, pomegranates, watermelon, honey, olive oil and dates, which formed his main diet. Um, he didn't eat meat or chicken on a daily basis. In fact, he never cooked it at home, except in very rare occasions, because at that time, you know, meal was expensive and even in those times. And so he he ate very simply from the land. Um, and I think we as Muslims often forget that. And often on our dining tables are, are huge amounts of meat, um, mm-hmm. but actually you know if we look at the the diet of the holy prophet muhammad peace be upon him and we try to emulate how he lived his life then actually meat was a very small part of his diet
0: yeah i think that's really well encapsulated and it's, it's part of the kind of the philosophy around the teachings of islam as well as it's about the main main Maintaining a balance in in one's diet and respecting the food chain as well. So, just going back to the question, you know, does it make Muslims cool if they eat meat? Then I think the answer is no. Um, that you know, because we're encouraged to have a balanced uh, diet, um, not just have a balanced diet on its own, but also to understand the laws on which the whole ecosystem functions. It's about balance and making sure that you know we understand our relationship with the food that we have and the responsibility that we have within that um, the functioning of that ecosystem as well. Um, so I don't think it makes us cruel. Um, our relationship and impact, you know, um, has certainly changed in the last century when it comes to meat consumption. We rare and source of meat on industrial industrial scale, you know, fulfill it, fulfilling our needs. Um, and that's been kind of evident in the fast food industry, I think particularly, uh, where we're now able to fulfill our desires, to, you know, for all types of different foods and meats as well, just at a click of a button. So we now uh, know over time, you know, consumption patterns have changed. Um, And, you know, perhaps meat is consumed less, maybe there's more alternative products. Um, They might be plant-based that are being manufactured on on that industrial scale. Um, That can also have an impact on the environment. And Islam teaches us about balance. So, Sister Reem, can you tell us a little bit more about how we're encouraged to understand that? Are all animals and plants made for eating?
2: Mm, No, of course. You know, we know animals carry diseases and um, understanding that not everything is for consumption. Consumption is vital. Mm -hmm. Uh, we read in the Holy Quran it is Allah who has made cattle for you that you you may ride on some of them and eat of some of them and you have other advantages in them and that by means of them you may satisfy any desire that there may be in your uh, breasts and on them and on sheep sheep, uh, you are born so it is uh, for different purposes you know So different animals have different purposes Mm -hmm. and some should be admired for their beauty, not to be hunted and not to be killed. And we know from the um, biography of uh, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him that, you know, uh, once his uh, son, who became later on the second Khalifa of Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he was a little child when he hunted a parrot, you know. And then uh, the promised Messiah told him that uh, Paris should be admired and not hunted.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that it reminds me of a time of my own life as well, where for approximately five years, um, I had a meat-free diet. Um, and one of my reasons for, for moving towards that was, you know, I, I suppose it wasn't because I thought, um, it was cruel to to eat meat, but it was I considered it more as a luxury that I didn't need to survive. But my position fundamentally changed when I re- read the book Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam by the Promised Messiah and Him be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Now I'll read an excerpt or summarise an excerpt from that where he said, experience also shows that different types of food affect the intellect and the mind in different ways. For instance, a careful observation would disclose that people who refrain altogether from eating meat gradually suffer a decline of the faculty of bravery. They lose courage and and thus suffer the loss of a divinely bestowed praiseworthy faculty. This is reinforced by the evidence of the divine law of nature that the herbivores, herbivorous animals do not possess the same degree of courage as to carnivorous ones. The same applies to birds. Thus there is no doubt that morals are affected by food. Conversely, those who are given to a diet consisting mainly of meat and eat very little of green suffer a decline of meekness and humility. Those who adopt the middle course develop both types of moral qualities. That is why God Almighty has said in the Holy Quran Um, In chapter 15, eat and drink, but do not be immoderate. Um, And that's mentioned in Zerah Araf, sorry, chapter 7, verse 32. So that's to say, eat meat and other foods, but do not eat anything to excess, lest your moral state be adversely affected and your health might suffer. So, we know that certain foods affect, you know, I've seen in, in, in our moral ways, in our spiritual ways as well. Um, and there are restrictions um, in the Holy Quran, which I mentioned. Shazia, did you want to tell us a bit more about those?
1: Yes, it says in the Holy Quran, uh, chapter 2, verses 173 to 174. And it says, He has made unlawful to you only that which dies of itself, and blood, and the flesh of swine, and that on which the name of any other than Allah has been invoked. But he was driven by necessity, being neither disobedient nor exceeding the limit, it shall be no sin for him. Surely Allah is most forgiving and merciful. So Allah has given us really clear guidelines that, you know, something that dies of itself, you don't know why it's died. It may have had some kind of illness or disease that you don't want to catch. Um, and, and, and that's why, you know, we don't need that. So Allah has placed restrictions of us and, and asked us to behave within our limit. Um, That said, Allah also encourages the slaughtering of meat, as we know in the story of Prophet Abraham. May Allah be pleased with him and the sacrifice of a ram, something Muslims continue to enact on Eid al-Adha. But again, we don't eat all of that animal ourselves and it's meant to be shared out between family and then the poor as well. And I think, you know, food can be used for for bonding amongst communities. I know in a lot of um, um, Arab communities, people eat in a big plate and they share the food um, amongst uh, each other. Um, and in in Khadiyan in India, Mirza Basim Ahmed saab who was the, um, one of the um, uh, sons of the second Khalifa, um, he um, he used to go hunting because at that time um, it was very poor in Khadiyan and people didn't have the, the the luxury as it was of having meat, and therefore he would go hunting and whatever um, he hunted, that meat would be shared among the residents of Khadiyan.
0: Thank you. Um, so, Sisterine, coming to you, we've spoken at length about our position toward animal consumption. You know, the importance of having a balanced diet. I'm just conscious that how food gets to our plate and you know, delivered to our doors is out of sight and perhaps out of mind. You know, as Muslims, um, you know, we follow a process of slaughtering animals for consumption. Could you shed some light on that?
2: You know, Islamic... is, and is
0: there any cruelty in that as well? Uh,
2: no, the opposite. If we know the guideline, you know, the Islamic guidelines for slaughtering animals emphasizes. Um, you know, the swift and the humane methods of minimize the pain and distress for the animal. So animals are supposed to be treated with kindness and respect even during the process of a slaughtering. A knife should be too sharp that slaughtering will be done in one second only. Mm-hmm. And this process should not happen in front of other animals as well. So uh, I want to share this with you as well when Maulana called the Muhammad Abdullah, B.A. was departing for England as a missionary in 1915. Hadrat Mirza Bashir al Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, the second khalifa, gave him the, some instructions to follow. Amongst these directors, he instructed the following. It is not lawful to eat the flesh of an animal that has been killed from the backside of the neck um, and uh, or suffocated to death. The Qur'an forbids it, and the holy founder on inquiry from the intending uh, passengers for, uh, for England also forbid it. But if the Jews or Christians slaughter a clean animal by the throat, whether they recite the name of Allah or not, it is lawful for you to eat of its flesh. Begin eating it with the name of God. The Jews, I hear, are very careful about the matter of slaughtering animals for eating. You may eat the flesh without any misgiving. As the Christians slaughter animals from the backside of the neck or kill them by suffocation, you should be careful about the flesh um, uh, procurable as at their shops or hotels. Mm -hmm. It is lawful for you to eat food cooked by them, flesh Mm -hmm. or fish, as well as that of a clean animal shot with a gun is also allowed. There is no harm in eating of the same plate with a Christian, for it is not man that is unclean, it is the unclean thing that makes him unclean.
0: Thank you. I think that's a poignant note to end on. You know, as we know, Islam emphasizes uncleanliness being half of our faith, cleanliness of mind, body and spirit you know that cleanliness of our conscience is really important to have um you know as, as it is of our body as we prepare to eat and drink and worship it leads to us having a clean spirit and i think in in the longer run it helps us to be able to attain that inner peace as well so our relationship with animals and you know how we think about them how we um uh treat them i think uh, is really important to reflect on so that we're able to um, you know lead to having that peaceful coexistence between us and animals as well um Now, only for time reasons, we need to end here. Thank you to our listeners for staying with us on this journey of discovery. And thank you, ladies, for helping us get there. If you'd like to join the discussion, please tweet us, uh, Voice of Islam UK, using the hashtag BOI Peace. And you can find all the resources and references, as mentioned earlier, on www.alislam.org. Until the next time, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.